0: You're listening to the Radical Departures Podcast, your source for startup storytelling. I'm your host, Abby Klein. On the show, I interview entrepreneurs and other professionals from throughout the French and greater European startup ecosystems. We look at some of the interesting new developments that have taken place in France over the last few years and how the country is developing into a startup nation. On Radical Departures, you'll hear founders of some of the hottest companies share their stories and important things they've learned along the way. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review in iTunes. This is episode 41 of the Radical Departures podcast. My guest today is Joel Halpern, a creative brand strategy consultant, among other things. Joel has worn many hats, including art student in France, marketing director in New York City, founder of a full-service brand development firm in the U.S., and his current one as a consultant and mentor for companies and startup accelerators from all over the world on branding and marketing. In this episode, Joel and I talk about why it's so important to create a North Star for your brand lessons he's learned over the last few years of transatlantic work, common mistakes startups make when preparing to go global, and much more. So without further ado, here's episode 41 with Joel Halpern. My guest today is Joel Halpern. Welcome, Joel. Thank you. So... Tell us, you are not a startup founder. No, I'm not. What do you do?
1: So I do brand development, marketing, advertising, general creative uh, services for companies, be it startup or not startup. I think the term startup founder is a weird one. I think it only applies to tech for some reason in France. I had a startup in the US, which was a full service advertising agency. So I consider myself somewhat of a founder, but not really anymore, I guess.
0: Small business owner.
1: Which is, yeah, sure, small business.
0: <laughs> totally different. Yeah, I guess that that's true that the term is kind of reserved here. Mm-hmm. But it's still very much in development, the startup ecosystem in France, no?
1: It's more advanced, obviously, than it used to be. It has a long way to go. I think that, I don't know how to say it, I think that what's happening here is pretty spectacular given the history of France and sort of the reserved culture of you know being aggressive with, you know, launching things on a global scale. But it's it's kind of remarkable to see this momentum that's happening.
0: So what brought you to France? You've been here for a while. been here for a year.
1: I had a full-service agency, like I said before, in the U.S. Uh, Liam Booger invited me to speak at a conference called Audience at Google 2015. I came. Uh, I've gone to art school here, and I hadn't been back to Paris in 10 years. So... <laughs> I came and I spoke at the conference and I saw this amazing ecosystem that was kind of bubbling and it was really exciting. And I met a gentleman there who had an agency that we partnered on projects with. So I started coming back to Paris every eight weeks and every six weeks and every four weeks. And eventually he asked me to come full time, be his partner. So I sold my company in the U.S. and came last August.
0: And what's that been like? Are you still working on that project or... No,
1: it was an interesting one. Uh, didn't quite realize it at the time, but uh, the gentleman that I went into business with was broke and the business was going to be filing for bankruptcy. So it's been a fun last six months mm-hmm. uh, dealing with all of that, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you lick your wounds and you get over it. Yep.
0: So what's next for you then?
1: I don't know. Right now I've got a couple of projects that I'm considering launching. Uh, one's pretty interesting, still kind of in the space of creative services branding. Uh, the other one is a um, startup, so maybe I would be a startup founder.
0: No, you're gonna have to embrace that term then. I don't know.
1: Yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> I need to get like a WeWork membership and just like sit there and listen to electronic music.
0: Go whole that. hog. Yep. Yeah. What are some of the differences, major differences that you see as a creative here in terms of brand strategy and development and marketing and anything you want to speak y- about?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Europeans, well, French in particular, are super scared. Of anything that has to do with being creative. It's product forward, product forward, product forward. And in the US, you know, we we sell that long term vision. We sell that idea of what we could be down the road.
0: Even Um, if we maybe aren't and, and perhaps can't be.
1: Well, I mean, you know, think about Steve Jobs, for example, right? I mean, he didn't have all the answers when he launched, but he had a belief that every house would have a personal computer in it, right? And he sold that vision to people, and then people bought into it. Here, that sort of selling the vision feels like a lie. I think that the French consider that to be lying, and they don't ever want to make promises that they can't keep, where I see it as an opportunity to build loyalty along the way. And so that's what I try to do.
0: But this is like you've isolated this major difference between France and the U.S., which Mm -hmm. is in the U.S., we sort of think a bit bigger even if we don't have all the tools, like you said, or all of the means to get there. But in France, it's like we must stay within the bounds within the confines and be concrete and not go beyond our means or beyond our whatever I mean we don't have credit cards here the same way as we do in the US yeah. you can apply it to a lot of things well i mean uh,
1: yeah i think that uh, that's a really good point because you know here it is i think it starts really young that you know in the US when you're a kid it's like you can be anything you want to be you can be a doctor you can be the president you can be an astronaut here it's like well you can do one of three things <laughs>
0: Yep, and and you better pick by the time you're 15 because ex- exactly, yeah. and you know I, I think
1: that that notion carries definitely into this sort of startup ecosystem where U.S. we sell ideas, we love ideas, we doesn't matter who the hell you are, where you come from, you actually can do things. Here, it's still this antiquated. Where did you go to school? Uh, you know what type of profession did you guide yourself through and then you know that'll lead you getting investment from these french investors and but yeah i mean that's probably the biggest difference that i've seen is this fear of going big it's this confining yourself to tiny little niche and never saying you're the best at something or never saying that you're you have it figured out or that you can solve problems it's like well we're okay at it yeah. and that's a pretty frustrating thing to hear <laughs> as a guy who sells dreams you know and sells ideas and tries to concept taglines and names for companies, it can be a bit of a challenge. Do
0: you have examples of that specifically, or what have been some of the ways that you get past that, or don't, work within it?
1: Oh, well, uh, so I'll give you two examples. One, you know, one is an example of how it goes really well, and then another example is how it, it's gone terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. One is working with different incubators and different uh, startup groups. So I work with the refiners out in San Francisco, and I think that the teams that they recruit are uh, slightly different. They're from all over the world, but a big concentration of France, particularly the first couple of groups that I worked with were all French. And I think that those teams are ones that are able to sort of step out of their comfort zone. Uh, They're looking to step out of their comfort zone. They're looking to learn new ways of doing things. They're trying to kind of de-French their mentality. That's always a fun time. And I think that they embrace what what I do. Uh, So it's brand strategy, it's brand development, brand platform development, archetypal discovery, tagline development. And on the contrary, I worked with an extraordinarily well-funded French startup here in Paris from a top, 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 top VC. And I'll tell you the story, I will not name names, but uh, I was on the phone with their VC who's based out in San Francisco. And this was probably the one time in my life where my heart just like broke. And I was talking about our brand development process. And we'd gone through like, I don't know, 30 rounds with these people. And nobody would just give us real feedback. This is pretty good. They would just always be like, we like this, but we need to change this word. So eventually uh, I made it all the way to the VC because they had sent the work to the VC kind of without any information, which is like inviting someone into a kitchen, you know, with ingredients sitting on the table and asking how was dinner. So I'm on the phone with this VC. He's French. He's out in VC, out in San Francisco. And I was describing our process and he says, Okay, yeah, that's not normally how I do it, but, you know, that's interesting. And I was like, well, you know, we kind of take Apple's approach. You know, we, we do it the way Apple built their brand. And the guy goes, yeah, 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 but that's Apple. And in that moment, I was like, wow, these people, are so far behind. Even the ones that have been in San Francisco for a long time, they are so far behind. To think in that way is detrimental. And in that moment, I thought, what if writers, you know, like for yourself, for example, the creative writing that you do, what if you said, yeah, but you know, I- I'm never going to be a Hemingway or I'm never going to be a whoever, or if every painter said that, yeah, but that's Picasso or, you know, the worst thing because of my industry is what if every founder said, yeah, but that was Steve Jobs. I mean, he started in a garage with a beard and you know, uh, smoking <laughs> a lot of weed like everyone else. So that was one of those moments where I, I just remember thinking, first of all, this guy's an asshole. And second of all, There's a major cultural difference that I have to figure out how to adjust. And I was talking to my mentor about it, and he said you just have to dumb your work down. He's like, you got to dumb it down for these people in the beginning because what you're doing is you're working, you know, you're offering these people pearls, and they have no idea what to do with it, and they need a bowl of spaghetti.
0: And by dumb it down, I mean maybe it isn't useful to share exactly how you do go about these things, or what like do you just not share as much with with the client?
1: No, I've never dumbed it down. Actually, I didn't take that advice. The work that I do and have done, I'm always super proud of. Even with that client, I think the work that we did was absolutely remarkable. The brand that they ended up launching, particularly to go to the U.S., is going to fail. They have a lot of stiff competition in the U.S., so I think they're going to have a, a hard time. But you know, the process is... Almost like working with a shrink, you know. I kind of come in, and I'm this, this sort of brand shrink where I, I get the founders, I get the sort of top folks in the company talking, and really an open dialogue about why it is that they believe the company exists. Why do they get out of bed in the morning? You know, what are they? Uh, what are their personal ambitions? And you know, if the company didn't exist, what is it that you believe about the world? And then try to articulate that in a way that that can um, you know build sort of the top of the marketing pyramid, if you were, as a, as a brand. You know, what does that promise?
0: And do you normally do this as the first pass for a company, or do you come in later once they've you know, gotten more established and rebrand? What do you like working on more, and what do you do more of?
1: I don't prefer either one. I've done quite a lot of both. The further down the road a company is, the more challenging it can be, only, sure. be, only because there's more players involved, and death by committee is definitely a, a real thing but you know the, the the early early stage is always fun because there's still a lot of passion you know once a company has raised a series a or god forbid a series b the soul's kind of gone you know once you get these top tier investors involved it, it just sort of becomes less about trying to solve a problem and you know change the world for the better or whatever and more just about money money money
0: they've lost their idealism
1: they have because the, it, it went from a dream becoming true to a a means to an end.
0: And what are some of the mistakes, major mistakes, I don't know if you can distill it down, but that you see a lot of particularly French startups making as they start to think about going global or at least going to the US?
1: So the first mistake that I see companies make is not raising enough money. I often see, I'll read an article, it seems like every day we'll call it Squiblo Startup. That's my favorite fake startup name. Squiblo? Squiblo. Squiblo raises 2 million euros to go to the U.S., and that's not enough to scratch the surface.
0: Do you think that is, uh, fits into the same kind of problem that we were talking about before, that people don't ask for enough because it's like, I don't know, they don't want to be too ambitious or too greedy or too whatever? Yes and no.
1: I think that that has something to do with it, and I also think that it has to do with who they're raising money from. Now, if they went to the U.S. to raise money for real expansion, you'd talk to a New York VC, and they'd say, "Well, you need five million for East Coast, and then like we'll work with a partner out west to give you another five million, you know, in six months or a year or whatever, to to really do market penetration." Where there's really sort of a clueless mentality of how to really succeed, because you know, two million euros will last you, especially if you go to the Valley, that'll last you less than a year. Just the cost of operating there is, is so outrageous. And then I think the the second mistake that companies make is not understanding the complexity of the U.S. market. Because I think the U.S. is the goal. I think that's what gets you to the rest of the world. I think if you, if you have some success in France, I think that you can look at the U.S. market and succeed there if you take the right approach, depending on what business you're in. And it is market by market. I mean, the U.S. is essentially five countries, right? And you have to kind of say, okay, well, we're going to just attack this one area. We're going to take this one city. Let's just launch in this one city and see what happens. And also, I think the uh, the third mistake is this really stupid idea of, well, we're going to the U.S., we're either going to be in San Francisco or New York. And there are so many markets that make sense depending on what you do. I mean, if you're in logistics, you should probably be where I'm from, which is Memphis, which is where FedEx and uh, all the train companies, and it's like, that's logistics. Or if you're in med tech, you should be certainly not in New York and there's just all these different markets, all these different places that people neglect because they think of the U.S. as only two cities. These French VCs that run the show, I mean, they run everything. They're literally here. They're way more involved than traditional VC, you know, back in the U.S. Their fingers are on every single decision that every company makes. And even these guys don't have a clue what they're doing. And I think that a lot of the French companies have opportunities. There's really great programs for European entrepreneurs. I mean, I think the refiners, what they're doing is incredible in San Francisco. I mean, they're not they're not changing the world, but they're a really perfect soft landing mm. for companies that are looking to go to the U.S. It, it gives you a real taste of what it means to be in the Valley. It, it helps you unlearn, you know, what you've learned here and relearn, you know, how to actually operate on a in a real place.
0: So, what would be some advice that you would give in your Sage wisdom, branding advice that you would give to someone who is just starting out and at that very early stage of kind Mm -hmm. of in the dream, in the idealistic phase, and thinking, okay, where do I begin this part? Because I do want to go global eventually. And how do I do that? How do I start?
1: I think that the, you know, think about how you would want to be perceived as an organization. You know, what does that mean? So if everybody was part of the company, everyone that's part of the company, if they were a single person and they were at a dinner party, and they left the dinner party, how would you want people to describe you?
0: Hmm.
1: You know, That's one of the ways that I try to start with personality development for a company. So if there's 10 people, if there's three founders, or if there's five people involved, or interns, whatever, just look at the group as a whole and say, okay, we're all one person, how do we want to be perceived? And then secondly, I say, don't talk about the product. You know, forget about the product. Why? In your top-level messaging, because it doesn't matter. You know, Products come and go. The idea of a brand is it, it's a North Star and your company is essentially a boat and you know, things come on and off that boat. People come on and off that boat. Services, ideas, your company will probably pivot. So you have to kind of get over where you are today if you want to think about yourself in 10 years. So how do you build that North Star for that boat to always go in a direction? And so regardless of whatever it is that you're doing in the moment, You know, if you have that North Star, if you have that brand, if you have that core belief as an organization about the world and your place in it, then everything that you will do will be perfectly fine. Hmm. I think about all the great taglines in the world, and it doesn't matter if it's a consumer product or a B2B company, they don't say what the company does. And for some reason here, everyone wants to say what the company does and their tagline. And, you know, that's fine, but, you know, you're never going to be able to think of something new you're never going to be able to grow uh, service offering wise but you know just do it doesn't say shoes right think different doesn't say computers it, it
0: evokes something in <clears throat> you it inspires action right
1: i think that's the best advice that i can give startups is how do you inspire decision making rather than overly inform mm. with logic because logic never sells it's inspiration sells
0: Okay, I'm going to say introduce one more slightly negative subject before Uh-oh. moving, ending on a positive note. What about naming of startups in France? Because this is something we see a lot of interestingly sure. named startups. Why do you think that's such a, a thing here? I mean, it's like just bizarre sort of names. Some of it's English, to be fair, because you know they want to pick an English name from the beginning, but it's kind of wonky. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. you
1: said it. I think that's the US has really bad startup names too. Sure. I mean, a startup, like I said, Squiblo could be a startup. It and probably
0: is a startup. It might be a startup.
1: <laughs> we were actually drinking at a San Francisco airport with a buddy of mine when we fake came up with that as like a fake startup for like sending emails to a service that would then handwrite letters <laughs> and then mail them for you. <laughs> Squiblo.
0: That and sounds th- like it could be real. Absolutely. Maybe I'll start it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the naming is uh, tragic. And I, I get calls all the time from companies asking me about that. And uh, particularly with the refiner's companies, I've worked with 45 of their companies and I've probably renamed or been part of renaming at least 15 or 20. Wow. Yeah.
0: But that's, they're aware or the refiner's has made them aware that they need to think about renaming? Both. Okay. Both.
1: Yeah, but I mean, for example, that big well-funded company that I worked with here, their name was just the worst. I mean, it it was like, is it a food company? Like, I don't know. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to, That's a whole podcast in and of itself, French naming of startups. It's just.
0: It just strikes me frequently, like that you just hear stuff and you're just like, "Mm." it's never going to work. No. I mean, maybe it'll work here and it could be cute and charming or whatever here, maybe. But in the States, people just be like, what is that? You know, it sounds dirty or like it's definitely not what you intended. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It sounds like something Trump's being investigated for.
0: And so, something more positive. What are some of the things that you think? People do well here. Startup people do well. Creatives do well in France in particular. Mm. Because they're known for tech talent, engineering, all that. But what about on the creative side? You mean on creative like in branding? Yeah.
1: Uh, It doesn't involve tech. Anything outside of tech is branded pretty well here. What I also love about French branding is that it's the only branding that really speaks for French, by French, particularly like some of the small clothing lines and restaurants. I think that... They all do a really good job. And I wish that some of the startups would would look at what's happening environmentally around them in terms of how they're approaching what they're doing. I mean, if you look at some of the cool new restaurant groups or younger designers that are doing some of these boutique fashion lines, you know, there's really beautiful design and branding happening yeah. all around. I mean, every day all around. And, you know, you go to the websites for startups and they all look the same. It's all the same Squarespace template. Or, you know, they went and bought a ninety-nine euro logo. But when it comes to branding, with I haven't seen a brand for a startup here that's really blown my mind. Hmm.
0: Why do you think that is, that there's just this disconnect with the tech startup world and beautiful brands, more creative? I mean, also the long history of branding here, obviously. I mean, you have Vuitton, you have you know Hermès, all these old yep. brands that have been around for hundreds of years and yep. yeah, well, stood the test of time.
1: I think that it has to do with uh, it's always an afterthought here. Mm. I think branding is an afterthought. I think it's a new concept in the tech world here, and it's never budgeted. God, they don't spend any money on it. It's actually embarrassing the budgets that they set aside for branding. They should be embarrassed. If you compare a US company uh, that's raised you know three to four million uh, to a French company that's raised three to four million, you know in the u s that that marketing and brand development budget's gonna be five to ten percent and here it's like, oh, well, we've got like two thousand euros, so what can you do and by the way, we want a logo, we want a brand platform, we want a tagline we want to rename our company and we need website content. Can you do that for two thousand? It's like nope
0: is that a disconnect between like the technical mindset of the, the people running these companies and not realizing that this is something that's important? Absolutely you okay. have
1: engineers, they're brilliant engineers. I mean I think that that sort of cynical mindset that this isn't possible kind of mindset or that this isn't true makes amazing developers and amazing engineers, but they're not business people. Even the VCs who are former you know, engineers or whatever and you know they've sold a company and they get a partnership at a VC or whatever, they don't know the ins and outs of what it actually means to, to build a real brand. And you don't learn that crap in business school.
0: Unfortunately. You learn
1: it in the real world. And for engineers, they don't, it's such a foreign concept, and I hear that all the time. It's like, we, we're just not good at this. We don't know anything about this. It's like, oh, that's okay, but you know, there are people that do, and, and it's okay to trust sometimes.
0: Yeah, and to pay those people too.
1: Pay those people, yeah.
0: So I appreciate you taking the time Thank to join me. Before you go, one more question. How do you personally define success?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I think I personally define success as... Being able to go to sleep at night and not worry about tomorrow. So you can be in the middle of a project and if it's, you know, success isn't the end of the day, I think success is in the middle. We forget about that. I like that. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Cool. Thanks to you. That wraps up another episode of Radical Departures. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review and let us know who you'd like to hear on the show. Catch you next week.